Welcome to the Bible in Our Culture, an outreach radio ministry of Liberty Remnant Church, where we encourage you to view the culture through the lens of the Holy Bible. Welcome back to the Bible and our culture. I'm Pastor Jay McPherson with Liberty Remnant Church. Glad to have you with us again. I have, once again, our distinguished guest, Brian Haywood of Let's Go Washington. He was with us last week. If you missed it, I think you're going to want to hear it. You can find it anywhere you find your podcasts or at our church website, libertyremnantchurch.org. And you can listen to last week's show. Uh, Brian, tell us uh, about yourself and what you're doing. My name is Brian Haywood, and I run an organization called Let's Go Washington, and we are dedicated to trying to correct some of the stupid things that have come out of Olympia. Um, And by that, I really mean let's bring some common sense back into legislation uh, and into the rules and laws that govern this beautiful state. Awesome. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Last week, we talked about Initiative 2113, Reasonable Police Pursuit, and we talked about the biblical principle behind why that's important. Same with Initiative 2117, it's Stop the Hidden Gas Tax. Today, we'd like to talk about Initiative 2124, which is opting out of state-run long-term care coverage. Forced State insurance, Brian, seems like something from a communist regime. Is that what this is about? It absolutely is. This was this first of all, the the Long Term Care Act itself was incredibly poorly designed. There's no way it's solvent. Uh, I in my day job I run a hedge fund. I'm heavily regulated by the SEC and by government oversight. If I were to propose this product as a financial product in the market, I sincerely believe that the SEC and probably Bob Ferguson himself would come after me and sue me for a fraudulent product. Wow. It's the original law gave people up at the beginning the ability to opt out of the state-run care, but they had to enroll in some other form, regardless of whether you could, whether regardless of whether you wanted to or not. You either had to pay the state tax or you had to enroll in some other form. And quickly, uh, all the companies offering this in Washington fled the state. At the end, there were only one or two companies that were offering options. And of course, the price goes up and the coverage comes down. And and even as an option there, it wasn't great. But what the state was doing was something that, and let's just give the, the basics of it. The state said, you have to start paying into this now, when you're starting when you're like 19, and you have to pay into it your whole life. If you move from the state, it does not move with you. You lose everything that you had in it. Terrible product. It, it's really awful. And then, okay, what's so then what do you get at the end? So let's, my, my father just passed away in January and was in sort of long-term care facilities for a brief while. So I, I'm somewhat familiar with the pricing. This is certainly on the west side, but what the law provides for is a maximum of about thirty-six thousand dollars of value. Okay, um, that's after you've paid in your whole life. You finally get thirty-six thousand dollars. That's it, no more. Thirty-six thousand dollars equals in a not great nursing home about three and a half months of wow. care. Right. So you got to hope that you die really quick. Right. Right. That's People and it puts this terrible, terrible dynamic where, if this is if this is what you're depending on, if you've been tricked into believing, oh, I don't have to worry because I have got this long-term care, you sort of have to hope that your parent passes away in three and a half months or you're stuck with this huge bill. 
And I think it's a very dishonest bill. I'm all for, uh, I, I think there should be lots of private options in the state that you could voluntarily join, but this one says you have to or else. And, and so what we're saying is it's not a good one. Let's give people a choice. I don't want to destroy it or uh, repeal it or anything like that. I want citizens of Washington state to have the opportunity to participate or not participate if they think it's valuable to them. Sounds fair to me. It seems like it's a fair option. <laughs> Before I was a full-time pastor, I worked for a nonprofit, was basically a financial counselor for low-income people. Mm. And the idea is, you know, long-term care, you better you better look look at the value, you better look what it what it provides, how much it costs. And and this just seems like I would not advise this. I would say you've you've got to shop around for some other types of long-term care insurance. There's no way it would pass the smell test for any sort of reasonable financial advisor. And and it's sort of hawked as well. What and, and I often when people uh, come at me and sort of attack me on this, well, what do you what do you plan to do? What do you want to do instead? Well, it doesn't mean I don't want anything else to happen. I think the market should offer lots of options. I think we should encourage lots of options. Uh, same thing with healthcare, frankly. Some people might be willing to pay a high price now so that I've got fantastic coverage later. Some people might have a small budget. I just want to pay a small piece and I'll take my chances on it and I want some. And some people might say, you know what? I'm going to live in my house until I die and I don't care. And 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 I think they should have the right to do that. I don't think they should be forced into this program uh, to do it. And so so I want them to have a choice. That's the as simple as that, right? Sounds like a biblical worldview to me. How many, if we read the King James, there's so many whosoever's that it's your choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve, Joshua 24, 15. There's this personal choice, and it seems like those in Olympia are saying, no, you're not qualified to make choices for yourself. We're going to make you be responsible by making you pay these insurance premiums, and then the product we offer, since we're the government, isn't going to be very good anyway. And it, it's really, really sad. The, the Bible talks about unjust scales, and, and an unjust weight is an abomination, <laughs> and a false balance is abhorred by the Lord, or something like that. It's all throughout the book of Proverbs, where there's to be this real integrity about business, and they're saying, no, we're going to make you do what we want to do, you don't have to be responsible. In, in essence, I feel they're pushing irresponsibility. You shouldn't have to plan. We're going to take care of you from the cradle to the grave. How about Initiative 2109? Repeal the capital gains tax. What is a capital gains tax? Is it something you have to pay for using capital letters? Or going to the Capitol building in Olympia? Do we have to pay a tax on that? That's a great question. So let's start there. Let's say that you're a small business owner, right? And you you started out in Yakima and you started this little restaurant 20, 30 years ago. And it was just an idea. You happened, your grandma had some great recipes and you start this little restaurant and you develop a following, right? And at first you're not even thinking about capital gains because you don't even know what that is. You just started this business because it's a way for you to help pay for your family. But over time, you're a good, you've got a good business and, and it's so good that maybe there's so much demand for your business, maybe you start another one on the other side of town, right? Because there's so much demand, you can't even handle it all. So now you've got a couple of businesses. When that happens, this initial money that you put into the business has become much more valuable. Capital that you put in, the initial money you invested in it has become more valuable. And let's say now, now 30 years later, after you've taken no vacations and just worked your fingers to the bone in this little restaurant, You've got a business that's worth half a million dollars or maybe $750,000. What the capital gains does is it says anything, the, the current capital gains tax in Washington state says anything over $250,000, we're going to tax you an additional 
an additional tax on that over what the federal government already does. So now you've been thinking, well, I'm going to use this money for paying for my kids, my grandkids' college or whatever. No, no, no. Washington State's coming in. Right now, they charge you 7% of whatever money uh, that you made over $250,000. Now, Washington State has never had a capital gains tax. It's one of the reasons that I believe its economy is so robust is that you had Microsoft and Amazon and uh, even Facebook has got a lot of business up here. Google's got a lot of business up here. They came up here and then all the entrepreneurs followed that feed into those big companies because there's no capital gains tax. And so you come in and you start this, you do a startup and the startup you're getting really cruddy wages for a long time, hoping that yours sort of makes it big. And if it makes it big, you get the payback. This is saying that that Asian entrepreneur, that, that sort of Korean woman that believed in the American dream and started her business to feed into Amazon or to Microsoft, and she finally makes it, no, no, we want to punish you for what you've done. And it's usually this, you want to talk about biblical uh, points. Um, I don't have a scripture to quote you, but this one is all about, it's a sort of envy versus greed, I would mm-hmm. say, right? I believe that the capital gains tax is saying, hey, these rich guys, they're such terrible people because they're rich. We need to tear them down and they need to be punished for what they're doing. Oh, no, no, this is, no, no, this is only to help. This doesn't help poor people at all because the person who's building that business is hiring lots of employees. If if no business has started here, the employment rate would drop precipitously. People would lose jobs. Their salaries would go down. You create a really competitive market where there's, hey, I could go work for this guy or that guy. Suddenly my wages go up because there's competition for my labor. Absolutely. When you punish the guys that create the capital, the ones that start businesses, the ones that run restaurants, the ones that do that sort of thing, they stop making the businesses and the rates go down. Seems any tax, but especially one like this, is just simply looking to punish the responsible, those who have been industrious with their time, their resources, and their abilities. They get punished. Jesus, I think, talked about this at least a little bit in Luke 19 with the parable of the minas. Uh, it's similar to the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, where he divided all this money up to his servants, this rich person, and, and they, he expected them to go and use the money that he gave him to develop it, to increase it. But one guy didn't. One guy was afraid, so he hid his money and he didn't multiply it. And Jesus said, you wicked and lazy servant, I'm going to take the minas I gave you and I'm going to give it to the rich guy. So it, it is rich people who have an entrepreneurial spirit who have been responsible and industrious, who create jobs and the rest of us benefit. If, if our goal is to keep everybody equally poor, then you want socialism. But freedom says there's people can make money. And if I see somebody doing well financially as a believer, I should say, wow, I'm inspired to be like that person. They've used the talent and abilities that God's given them and, and they're making a good life. Good on them. I, I, I admire that and respect that. But I agree with you. This is the envy. I, I call it greed, uh, envious of the wealth that other people have worked hard to create. You know, I, I, I sometimes think about this sort of greed versus envy idea, and I think greed says, I want more, right? And there's 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 certainly biblical ideas that says that's not necessarily a good thing in a person, right? Being greedy. But envy is something to me which is worse, which says, I don't want you to have. Mm-hmm. And that outward animosity towards your neighbor feels sort of more dirty than than saying, I'm going to work really hard so that I get more versus whatever I do, I'd like you not to have it, right? That wow. seems like a, a bad thing within a society. Absolutely. And, and I've been a Washington voter all my adult life, Spokane boy. I think I've seen something like this before on past ballots. Have we already turned this down oh, somewhere? It's been voted down multiple times. 
wow. both an income tax and a capital gains tax have been bolted down multiple times in the state, maybe about six times. It's been rejected by the voters at about a 60% rate. It's not like barely squeaking over. So the legislature thought they could, they could first of all, they could do this sneaky thing by doing putting this capital gains tax in. Now, one of the, if I can go esoteric for a minute, but I think it's an understandable esoteric. What they did was really sneaky. They said, no, no, this isn't really a capital gains tax. It's an excise tax. So our constitution in Washington state says, you may not tax income unequally. You can't charge this person this rate and this person that rate. You have to charge everybody the same. The capital gains rate is unequally applied. So it's theoretically against our constitution. But what the Supreme Court did, this was taken, it was taken to court. In Thurston County, there was a judge that ruled, yes, this is an income tax, it is illegal. It was then appealed to the Supreme Court. At the Supreme Court, the nine justices, all appointed by Inslee, basically found, no, no, this isn't a capital, it's not an income tax, even though the IRS itself says capital gains are income. They are, in, in, and therefore this is an income tax. The IRS and 49 other states say this, but only in Washington state is it an excise tax. An excise tax is a transaction tax. So it's basically on the sale of something, right? That's what they're claiming. The problem with this and the danger of it, I would argue, is that once you accept the idea that this that Washington state can charge people on an excise basis for their worldwide purchases or transactions, it means that in theory, there's nothing to stop the Washington legislature from collecting a tax on everything that you buy or sold in Florida, right? It's an excise tax. So why can't they charge uh, California, or California or Florida gasoline stations an excise tax for anything that they sell to Washingtonians? Now you can imagine it would be a nightmare to sort of track that down, but the theory has been laid out with this with this new tax, this new capital gains tax. It has not been implemented very long. It's only been in here for a year now. Uh, but I believe the second thing that it's doing is once they get a capital gains tax, it lays down a foundation for them to collect the data on all Washingtonians so they then can collect an income tax, which sort of leads us to the next leads one. Leads to the right? next one. Initiative 2111, no state income tax. This one, the, the no state income tax, we don't have a state income tax. So you say, well, why do we need this? Let me point out a couple of things. On the capital gains tax we were just talking about, right now it's 7% tax on anything over 250,000. In the legislature last year, even before they, even before this tax had gone into effect, there was a bill proposed that would raise the tax to 15% and reduce the deduction down to, to $15,000, which means this isn't only for rich people, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's coming for you. It's coming for the average person in the state. The income tax, um, once you've declared that capital gains is not an income tax, well, what would stop you from saying that your income is an ex, that, that it's an excise tax as well? We're just doing a trans, it's an excise, it's a tax on the transaction of you doing labor. Right, and Seattle's already started looking at doing something like that. So with the with the uh, twenty one eleven, we went back and we said, is there an agency that defines income better than any agency in the world? And that would have to be the IRS, mm -hmm. right? Because there there's no one that wants to define income better than them. They define it because they want to tax it all. So we said, all right, let's use the IRS definition of what income is 
in the IRS code, and let's then in this 2111 say that no city, county, or state may tax income as defined by the IRS in section code 26. Wonderful. So this would prohibit cities from doing it, from counties from doing it, and states from doing it. It doesn't run into payroll taxes. It's not trying to mess with any of the B&O stuff. This basically says no income taxes. And as the IRS defines it, not as you want to go and redefine it. So as a believer, I look at what our tax dollars are being used for, and I'm like, there hasn't been a good tax in my lifetime. <laughs> there hasn't been a good tax in, in my lifetime anywhere. But in Washington, it just seems there's greedy, I would even call them oppressive. That is, I, I remember when I was first married, I think uh, it, sales tax was 8.6 and it was percent. So that if inflation went up and wages went up, then so did the spending. So consequently, they never needed to raise it. Maybe lower it, but they never needed to raise it. But they keep raising it and raising it. And I, 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 what point are we going to say, we have to fire Olympia because they're being oppressive? And so thank you. I feel like this puts another uh, watchful eye. I'm hoping it's a safeguard, right, on, your, safeguard. on your wallet. Thank you so much. Initiative... 2081, we've got about nine or 10 minutes, parental notifications. So this one to me seems like such a no brainer that it's almost, you could almost ask the question, wait, wait, why are you, what do you mean parental notification? We're basically saying schools have to notify parents. There's several parts to this, right? But it's, it's the same idea. Schools have to notify parents what their curriculum is, what the counselors are telling your children, they have to notify you in advance if they're going to take your child off campus. They, uh, you you have to be notified if there's any medical procedure that's going to be uh, performed on your child, right? You think all this is unnecessary. It seems like it would be unnecessary. But let me, let me there's this doctrine called the mature minor doctrine. And this, this is not the end all. This doesn't solve all the problems. It does not reappeal 5599. It doesn't, right? Um, but I'm going to go back because I think we need to understand how how things came to be and how we fight back. Okay. Uh, there was a mature minor doctrine that was started in the 90s, and it basically said there's certain things that minors should be allowed to decide for themselves, that they're mature enough, they should be allowed to decide for themselves. And it was this slow creep over the last 10 years, more than that, 20 years, that the, and, and specifically in Washington State, where the legislature has gradually lowered the age of consent on certain issues. It's, and it's a patchwork. It's all over the place. Uh, the latest salvo is really on medical information. Mm -hmm. So if any parent listening right now, they probably have had this experience. You go into the doctor with your 14-year-old, and the doctor sits, and you're sitting there with your 14-year-old, and they're maybe a little bit nervous because it's a doctor's office, and of course they, they want you to come in, or, or maybe they don't. And the doctor will say, we're going to take your child now and we're going to go do, um, well, I'm not going to tell you what we're going to do. You're not allowed to go back there with them unless they agree. Now, first of all, it's a terrible dynamic to put on a, I think on a, why in the world are we putting that on a, on a 13, 14, 19, 20 year old, you can have a different discussion, but a 13, 14 year old to, to disintermediate the relationship with the parent and the child seems to me on a criminal level. Absolutely. But then it's, it gets worse because, okay, the child says, no, I don't want my parents there. So then you're nervously waiting and they go and they do a bunch of tests. They don't tell you what the tests are. 
and they don't tell you what the results are. They won't unless the child agrees to allow you to know what the results are. So now you've been disintermediated. disintermediated. You've been separated from the decision-making twice. But then here's the real kicker. Then they send you a bill for X amount of dollars, but they won't tell you what test they did or what the results are, but you have to pay the bill. That's criminal. It's criminal, right? How in any other industry, this would be, Elizabeth Warren would be here with her, you know, the Consumer Protection Act trying to protect you. But here we're doing it with incredibly important decisions with very vulnerable population. Yeah. And it basically, and, and here's the other thing that I think was important that happened. The law, this, this does not repeal 5599. It doesn't turn it over. It's a simple pushback that number one says, parents are the primary player in the decision-making of their minor children. Without a doubt. Okay. And it pushes that back to like 17. Um, it says parents should know, then, then it says parents should know about all these things. What the law has done with 5599, and what I think was the criminal thing that it did, is it switched the thinking. Before there was this sort of idea that parents are the primary source and that they have the what's they have the best interest of their child in mind and the state should respect that the norm is that parents have their best the children's best interest in mind. Under 5599 they flipped it and the assumption is that parents are detrimental or harmful to children and therefore if you don't remove the parents from the decision making bad things will happen to the child. They'll be abused or whatever. Um, This law, and I have no no sympathy whatsoever for parents that abuse their kids. I do not want them protected. I think if they're, this law says, if there is an abusive situation, right? We already have laws that deal with that. But this does not, parental notification in a situation where there's clear uh, parental abuse, a child abuse, uh, this this is not stepping into that. This is but this is saying the norm should be mm-hmm. that you assume that parents love their children and want the best for their children. That you assume that a parent knows better for their 13, 14 year old than some administrator in a school or in a in a government bureaucracy. And we're trying to turn that tide back. This is parents know better and care more. Well, they they do, and they and they should. I I feel like even with the idea of raising our kids in an education, uh, we dump that on the education system. It's really, I, I believe, biblically, a parents' responsibility to educate their children. But with government schools, and even my wife and I, we send our kids to a Christian school. It's really easy just to dump their education on somebody else. Um, but the thing is, when we dump more of the responsibility of raising our kids on the government, they shouldn't really have any. They're going to do what they think is best for their ideological worldview. And I'm just livid when we think about 5599 and we think about how parents' rights are under attack. I heard a story about a gal named, young gal named Sage. Her parents moved her from the city to southeast or southwest Virginia because she was having a lot of mental health issues. Well, they sent her to school and telling her that, you know, our daughter's suffering through a lot of mental health issues. And then they coerced her or she said, decided she wanted to be a boy. So they allowed her to be a boy, used the boy's restroom and didn't tell mom and dad. So she's being verbally abused, 
physically abused and sexually assaulted in the boys' restroom, and they wouldn't tell the parents. So the girl, being all confused, she runs away. She gets drugged, raped, trafficked, and through the traffic tour ends up in in Maryland where they, they find her. But because her parents wouldn't acknowledge that she was a boy, they never told the parents again. So again, she runs away from there and ends up in Texas where they notified the parents. And here she's been trafficked and and raped and all sorts of bad stuff because the parents are God's design to advocate for their children more than anybody else on the planet. Parents advocate for their children better than children advocate for themselves. The Bible says, children, obey your parents. We're taught to honor our father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. There's a very special relationship between mom and dad and their son or daughter that the government has no business getting involved with. And all this deceit, what, what do you think that the, that the government's trying to hide that they can't let parents know? I, I think it's about control at the end of the day. Um, I, if you can disintermediate the parent, if you can say, hey, parents, you're not the primary decision maker here then you can teach children whatever you want to teach them. And and I think people on all sides of all political spectrums should find this a very terrifying thing, right? Absolutely. If you're if you're a very left-leaning progressive, um you don't necessarily want um let's let's say their their worst nightmare the the, the left-leaning progressives worst nightmare might be to have a maga uh, teacher in there teaching their kid about gun rights or something like that, right? And and um they should they should they should support the idea that they have a right, the primary right, to tra- treat, to raise their child as they see fit. As should the person on the on the right be absolutely within their ability and their rights to raise their child as they see fit. As they, and, and both of them, let's say that both of them are Christian and they're both feeling like they're doing something in alignment with their religion and their beliefs, that should be something that's between them and God, not something between them and the state. And I think the state is singularly unqualified to make that decision on behalf of parents. Uh, and so I, I, but I think that if you can, well, if parents are afraid, because you can, you can tell them you can't do anything with my child, right? If, if, parents, if, if parents are afraid of the state, then the state can do whatever it wants. Absolutely, Brian. Thank you so much for being with us. We are a accountable to God for how we raise our children. So we should be involved in this initiative process, Initiative 2081, and all these others that Brian Haywood has been talking with us from Let's Go Washington. Catch you next time on The Bible in Our Culture with Liberty Remnant Church. Thank you for listening to The Bible in Our Culture, an outreach radio ministry of Liberty Remnant Church. If you want to support this ministry financially, you could do so by going to our website, libertyremnantchurch.org backslash gift and select radio ministry. See you next week at the same time.